This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you've been going through perimenopause or menopause, you know the struggle to find comfort in your body is real. No matter what you try, no matter what you do, you're just feeling off. That's why I'm so excited that I found Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. It's become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media, and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making your life easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. And the best part, the biggest benefit, is feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews, and there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. So check with your doctor before beginning any other supplement or strategy to address your health care. And if you're curious and want to give it a try, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code GETNAKED at the checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code GETNAKED for 15% off today. Welcome to the Modern Intimacy Podcast, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, education, how-tos, and those private things we need to talk about more publicly with no restrictions. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri. As a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, and certified sex addiction therapist, I know that mental health is directly tied to the quality of our relationships and our sex lives. I am passionate in my desire to smash stigmas about both and shine a light on relationship and societal issues that may be negatively affecting us. During this podcast, I will also give you practical answers and insights to questions you're asking about or have been hoping to solve. We should all have fulfilled, happy lives, erasing shame and stigmas and building healthy connections. Let's do that by getting curious together. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This week, I am so excited to speak with a colleague and friend, Dr. Elizabeth Federick. She is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Arizona, the founder of Evolve Counseling and Behavioral Health Services, the host of the Relatable Podcast. And Dr. Liz is a relationship expert and coach who specializes in working with folks in partnership, depression, anxiety, trauma, attachment, intimacy, grief, and loss, life transitions, and personal improvement. Liz, is there anything you don't do? I was just going to say, <laughs> really, you don't need to read that all out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm shorten that down for you. <laughs> I um, try to specialize uh, relationships and intimacy. So yes, while I do think that personal improvement and anxiety, depression, trauma, all of that is so interwoven into our relationships and our intimacy. Um, my main umbrella, you know, ties into the relational piece. 
It does. And your content on social media is on fire. I learn so much from you. Every time I see your post, I'm either reminded of something that I learned years and years ago and have completely forgotten, or I'm blown away with new insights. So we'll put your social media handles in the show notes. Um, but I recommend everybody check it out. Your, your content is really great. I appreciate that so much. That is, I believe, how we connected early on. And I remember just feeling so honored you would DM me and say that um, when we first started connecting. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I had you on such a pedestal and still do. And so I appreciate oh. your support in that way. Oh, please take me off the pedestal. But I love <laughs> the support. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I wanted to talk with you. We could talk about so many things because your knowledge base spans so many topics. But I specifically wanted to talk with you today about emotionally unavailable folks, whether it's us or a partner, and how to grapple with that in early dating and in relationships. And I had a listener write in and she said that she is a 28-year-old single person living in New York. And she dates, she wrote, what did she say? Primarily men. And she said she seems to always find the same kind of guy who is emotionally unavailable, even though they seem really motivated to get to know her at the start of a relationship. But she expressed that she's getting really frustrated and wants to know how to spot emotional unavailability sooner. So I'm really curious in your work, do you, you run across this all the time, right? Yeah, definitely. And in my personal life as well, as I'm, you know, out there dating and struggle with my own emotional unavailability from my traumas and from my upbringing. And um, I think that first and foremost, it's important to keep in mind that if we keep ending up with the emotionally unavailable partner, there's probably something going on with us as well in terms of being emotionally unavailable that if, if that is what we are attracting. And again, speaking, um, not at somebody, but with everyone who's listening, that I I can relate to this as well. And what this ties into is our relational programming. And so really how our early relationships with our primary caregivers, with the significant people in our lives early on, that sets the stage for what we come to know about relationships. And so whatever those consistent experiences were, whether our caregivers were warm and attentive and nurturing, and we felt like our needs matter, we mattered, we had a voice versus If they were chaotic or they were distant, they were removed, not emotionally available for us, this also sets the stage for what we come to expect. And so that's one of the most important places to start with is what is your programming? And so if you're drawn to the same person, we got to check in on why. And it likely has to do with what you've come to believe relationships are, what you've come to expect out of people. Um, It really is your programming. It really is. And it's so unconscious. We don't, we're not given a script that says here, here's the role you've been given in your relationships. We just, we just play them out over and over again. And we show up the way we showed up with earlier caregivers um, and people in our lives, because that is how we literally learned how to be relational. So for a lot of folks, emotionally unavailable behaviors um, are harder to spot because like the frog in boiling water, it didn't start out that hot and you've acclimated. And these different signs that people might evidence in dating 
aren't always things that you would pick up on because they're so normalized in the relationship scripts that you've been given. Yes, absolutely. And then our adaptive child traits that we develop in these early experiences. And so how we learn to cope with it, all of us are designed humans, whether you feel this way or not in your adult life, we are all designed to crave connection, acceptance, love, like that is that is our innermost beings. And so when we were not able to receive that type of connection or acceptance that we so deeply desired, we found ways to cope with this. We found ways, as you're saying, to adapt. And so for some of us, that was caretaking, that was people-pleasing perfectionism. For others, it was isolating and withdrawing and avoiding. And so when we end up with the emotionally unavailable partner time and time again, there's a good chance that our adaptive child traits were the caretaker or the fawner, the uh, pursuer. And so you learned all of this as a way of survival. So it doesn't make you defective. If anything, it makes you brilliant. But what was once adaptive to your life and your relationships has now become maladaptive and it's keeping you stuck in these patterns. Yeah. And I, I think your point earlier about how we also have some unavailability within ourselves when we are partnering up over and over again with somebody who's also unavailable. That's a really important point to look at because when we look at the um, pursuer and distancer model, right? Some person's backing up a little bit, they're more avoidant, somebody else is doing more of the seeking out or the chasing. This is about how we regulate our nervous system often. And both can evidence these signs of emotional unavailability because they're both about regulation. And it's not a co-regulation or a mutual regulation um, or interactive, even though it looks on the outside like it's interactive because there are two people involved. It's really more about this illusion of connection and um, and mutuality. But when there's that pursuer or um, distancer dynamic. Absolutely. And I, I want to touch on that further because that's such an important point of this is that often these emotionally unavailable individuals, they almost get villainized. And they are treated as though they are intentionally trying to create harm, intentionally uh, breadcrumbing, gaslighting, manipulating, like we go through all the terms. Just because somebody is emotionally unavailable does not mean they are intentionally trying to hurt you. It means they very likely have found a way to survive. And you unfortunately have found them before they've been able to rectify that. And so before they've done their healing, before they've found healthier ways to be in relationship. And so that, I mean, as you're saying with the nervous system, that is often, not always, of course, but that is often what is going on is that we are, we are in relationship with other traumatized individuals who don't know how else to cope with it. And so they're not trying to harm you. They're trying to stay safe. Yeah. And for a lot of people, staying safe and preserving mental energy means being alone and not including other people in their process. And for other folks, folks who regulate with other people more readily, they bring people into their distress and that helps them feel better. And neither is right or wrong, good or bad. And boy, do they ever find each other. That's for sure. And it's it's a very frustrating process sometimes for people who have such polarized ways of coping because inevitably they can push each other's buttons and neither gets what they need 
until they learn how to build that vocabulary and come together with the expression of things like boundaries and needs and a, a, a real commitment to negotiating for both people in the relationship or more, if, if the partnership includes more people, um, with everybody getting enough of what they need to feel safe again. Yes, I completely agree. And that healing, that's what contributes to our ability to be able to collaborate. And that's that's the term I so much rather prefer when I'm talking about, the, especially the anxious and avoidant dance is that let's focus less on compromising, which ultimately you each lose out on. And instead, let's figure out a way to heal and collaborate. And so you mm-hmm. both are getting your needs met. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the easy to spot and not so easy to spot manifestations of emotional unavailability. Sure. So some things that are more obvious would be um, individuals maybe who have been single for a really long time, uh, they don't enjoy physical touch or close contact. Uh, maybe they're really inconsistent with their communication. So you hear from them sometimes, but then maybe it's days without hearing from them. Also, often these conversations are really one-sided or they stay really surface level. Um, you might feel like the relationship is all about sex. Those would maybe be, I guess, kind of even heading on the spectrum to more obvious, but then starting to become less because even the interaction with somebody, when you first start engaging with them, let's say it's on a dating app or you're texting with somebody, you can almost always pick up on somebody's emotional intelligence and maturity and availability by how they're interacting, how they're engaging with you. Now, this is not to set unrealistic expectations because I have to be really aware of that when I'm talking to somebody on a dating app that I'm not talking to another therapist, so they're not going to reflect and validate and explore and all of those things. But I would like a follow-up question, and I would like to have some you know, response to what I've shared. And so often, that would be some of the early, like even early signs places to start is what are those interactions looking like? Are they giving you one word answers? Are they not asking you any questions? Um, and a lot of people, I, and I, you know, talking to clients and stuff, and I'm realizing more and more, a lot of people look past that. A lot of people will continue to ask the next question and the next question without realizing this is not reciprocal. Yes, that's such an important point. And I think one of the most subtle ways to recognize if somebody is emotionally available or not. How curious are they about your inner experience and what makes you tick? Now, some folks may use those kinds of questions in a manipulative way to get to know you. But for the most part, if somebody is not coming to the dating process with malevolent intentions, then they are curious. They want to know who you are and they're going to have a balance and a rhythm with you in terms of asking questions and sharing information about themselves. And it's a conversation that does feel really collaborative instead of one-sided. But not having those questions come in your direction is something that a lot of um, women are socialized to expect. And so I tend to see this more so, not not of course across the board, but more so, um, I see it where uh, in heterosexual relationships, women are doing a lot of the emotional labor in the relationship or in the dating process, and the men are sort of centering their own experience in the conversation mm-hmm. without volleying back and forth. Now, obviously, there are gradations of that and, and hashtag not all men, 
but it is definitely a theme that I hear a lot about. I wonder what you hear in your practice. Same, same thing. And, and also like, like I was saying in, in my personal life that I see it firsthand. And then a lot of my clients that I talk to, um, and it is really interesting because absolutely hashtag not all men, because a lot of my clients who I sit with are men and who are, are saying the same thing. Um, I had a client recently and he, they ended up not working out. He met, had met somebody on the dating app and he said, you know, Liz, reflecting back, I, I went and looked through our messages and I had asked almost all of the questions. Yeah. And I was, first of all, of course, so proud of him that I'm like, oh my God, that you went to even know to look through, kind of make sense of what happened um, and that he caught that. I was so proud of him for that. But so I, I would say it is all genders that that experience it. But also I do agree um, from my personal experience that there is an expectation um, for me to kind of carry the conversation, to ask the questions, to provide the nurture and validation in response to whatever stressor they share. Um, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm not interested in that. So it definitely <laughs> creates a barrier. Same. And uh, I think that expectation doubles when you're a psychologist or a therapist uh, dating in the world. A lot of dates really want you to carry it and expect that that is part of who you should be for them. Yeah. Yes. Which I, I've come to realize, I think it's part of why I even avoid them going on the date um, because that is how a lot of them go. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just sat with clients for however many hours that day and I, clients who I care a lot about their growth and about, you know, I am very invested in them. Um, and I don't feel that way about a first date. So it definitely, <laughs> definitely gets tiring after a while. Yeah, it does. And and to your point, I, I work with many men who will say the same thing. They're putting in a lot of effort in dating apps and asking questions and legitimately trying to get to know who the person on the other side of that two-dimensional experience is. Um, and it's tough. I, I think dating apps give us a lot of... Um, opportunity to feel unavailable and for unavailability to just be a lot more evident. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I've come to realize it's a good way to say, I'm looking, I'm trying to find a relationship, like I'm, I'm trying to find connection. But are you? And I do think that it is really for the emotionally unavailable person. Um, I think it is a, yeah, it's a Thing to hide behind. It's a it's a way to fit in with a societal expectation that if you're single, you should be looking for a relationship. Again, societal expectation, um, but that you really don't, you know, you don't have to put that much effort in. You really don't have to do a whole lot. You can remain unavailable, but you are at least appearing to do the work. So what you just said is so important. It gives you the ability to look like you're putting in a lot of effort. Now, when people are really earnest in wanting to find a partnership or even a hookup, generally they're willing to put in a lot more effort at the start of a relationship or at the start of that courtship or getting to know you process, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that effort eventually is hard to sustain and we start to normalize in our behavior again. What are some of the things that you've noticed start to go first? when somebody is putting in a lot of effort at the start, but maybe is more unavailable emotionally. And that truth is going to come out. So important and words and a lot of words and not a whole lot of actions is what we often see when somebody is not truly emotionally available, but they are trying to achieve a goal. 
And that's something to be aware of because that can be a, a much less obvious sign, a very subtle sign that somebody is not actually emotionally available when you're receiving a lot of love bombing. So it's a lot of compliments and praise and you're so wonderful and you're so beautiful, but often really surface level, not really like, oh, I really respect the passion you have for blah, 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 because they probably don't know about your passion. And so these are a lot of very surface level compliments. I called somebody out the other day. I said, how many times have you used that line? Because like <laughs> I, that's not very original and it's clearly being used. Um, and so when it comes across that way, really disingenuous, um, that is one of the first things to go because they're not actually doing anything. They're not actually putting in effort. It's very easy to type those things or to use those words. Um, so what we start to notice is that maybe they make a lot of promises. They talk about how wonderful you are. Maybe they talk about this future together. But then when you actually need something, they're not available when you go to call or when you want that quality time, they, they have all these other responsibilities. And so that's something to be aware of when there's a lot of words coming at you and not a whole lot of action, pretty big indicator. Love that. So true. Because even if somebody has good intentions, if they can't follow through, if they're, if they're really mean what they say when they say it, but they can't follow through, that is so hard to navigate in relationships and can cause so much disappointment and resentment and frustration. But, you know, the, the other thing that comes to mind for me around ways to spot emotional unavailability, and this might be a bit of a hot take, so I get people are going to disagree with me on this, but I generally um, have a pretty strong reaction when I don't know someone and they use cheeky nicknames with me. Mm. Hey, gorgeous. Hi, beautiful. Hey, lady. Hey, girl. Anything like that to me feels like they don't see me and it's cheap, fast language that they probably use with everyone so that they don't have to make the emotional investment in thinking about who they're speaking with. And yeah, yeah and, and yeah, it, to me, it's an immediate no if someone uses that as their open liner. It's such an ick, right? And that's so funny that you bring that up because I've been formulating whether I was going to do it as a story, as a post, but like, I want to ask the question. I think I might do it as a story and do it as a survey. It's been sitting in my notes. How you respond with when somebody uses a pet name within the first couple sentences of getting to know you, um, that is almost an immediate, which I, I get my emotional unavailability, okay? But that's almost an immediate <laughs> unmatch for me because- I'm like, ew, like you yeah. don't, you don't know me like that. You don't, we don't have that level of intimacy or safety. Um, and mm. I'm not your sweetie. I'm not yes. your honey. I am, I'm a doctor of psychology and I own multiple <laughs> businesses. Like keep your pet names to yourself. So <laughs> that, yes, I agree. I, I think that that is often a sign whether it is the emotional unavailability, unavailability or it's just a sign of it's demeaning. Yeah, it's or it's pseudo intimate, right? Rushing into yeah. this imaginary uh, level of of intimacy that really hasn't been established yet. Yeah, I I agree, and that and that ties into even some of the more maybe forceful, like to me again, like you're saying, it could be controversial in the same way that you're saying that statement could be. Um, even when somebody asks, like, when are you available within the first couple sentences, and mm -hmm. to me, I'm like available for what? Like you're going to need to clarify what you mean because 
that also is seems very quick uh, pseudo intimacy, I guess, in my opinion, as well. I agree 100%. For me, those are immediate unmatch right. interactions. I don't even respond. <laughs> right. Which and I, I had somebody on my podcast the other day, and she um, does she has a podcast on dating as well. And you know, she was talking about that for some people, it's a red flag, or it appears that somebody is emotionally unavailable when they don't ask within a certain amount of time, do you want to get together? Do you want to spend time together? So I get that it can be looked at, you know, it's again, the lens through which we're looking at, but we have to keep in mind going back to our relational programming. If somebody is that kind of like aggressive and clearly trying to get whatever their needs met, and you have this moment of well, I don't want to say no, or I don't want to offend them. I don't want to upset them. That's a really good indication that your relational programming is being activated and that you might just be responding out of that programming versus like, this actually feels safe and healthy to me. Yeah. Great point. It's so important to listen to our body's reaction here. And if it feels familiar and or if it feels disproportionate, it's probably related to that early childhood conditioning. Yeah. And to be fair, many people feel anxiety on apps and they do jump right into a, hey, let's grab coffee or hey, let's get together or talk outside of the app. For me, when that comes out of the blue and there's been not even a little bit of an interaction, I wonder why they want to do that right away. And maybe that comes from just being an incredibly busy human and <laughs> not wanting to take a lot of my own time to um, to invest in social interactions if I don't feel like I have a connection already established with someone or a curiosity. Yeah. That is, I mean, well said. I can completely relate. <laughs> <laughs> so how can someone recognize if they are emotionally unavailable? So a lot of the similar things that we're talking about, if you were to really stop and hold up a mirror are you presenting in this way? Are you showing up with some of these behaviors? Um, even checking in on what is your programming? What, how did, what are your adaptive child traits? How did you learn how to survive your environment? And so starting with self-awareness is so important for a lot of my clients. For most of my clients, we do a timeline and I recommend this even for people um, to do it on their own. But to create a timeline really from birth until present with some of these significant relational themes, and that can often show you whether you're operating through a lens of feared abandonment or rejection, um, it can help you to see like, oh, yeah, no, I actually am really afraid of being abandoned. So, well, I might show up as trying to pursue connection. These are some of the behaviors that are stopping me from doing that. And, and that can be so my toxic trait would be how busy I am and that I stay (laughs) really busy. And that is such, again, a societally acceptable reason Mm -hmm. to not pursue social connections. And so I'm very aware of that. That's, you know, starting with my awareness, but what are some of your things that you've been able to use to justify? And I'm not asking you directly, but people that are listening (laughs) to justify like, okay, this is why I'm maybe not pursuing or I'm not finding connection. Well, first of all, same. (laughs) The work and busyness um, are definitely the ways that I play it safe in relationships sometimes uh, or in dating because it is a lot easier to stay productive 
in air quotes, um, than it is to be vulnerable or to feel disappointed again. And I think a lot of people who grew up being in service of other people's emotional needs adapt in that way. Because if I'm doing this thing that is so socially sanctioned, if I'm volunteering or seeing my friends or doing all the things that I'm so busy, I just don't have time. That is a very strong protective mechanism to ward off the disappointment of not being met yet again. And that that is a really painful reality for people who grew up with um, emotionally unavailable parents and whether their parents had a more preoccupied attachment style and were overly focused on them, even enmeshed with them, that can feel so engulfing and so disappointing because it's always there, but never really about you. So that's really painful and just as painful as somebody whose emotional unavailability presents as being not connective in the ways that we've described. But I think one of the things I look at really frequently when when I'm helping people to think about their own emotional unavailability is, are they self-abandoning? And I think that's a really key place to start because if you're self-abandoning, then you're already giving to someone else and that's not a mutual exchange. Having mutuality is a conscious thing. It's a connection. It's a give and take. There's reciprocity and the, the rhythm feels a lot more even. But self-abandoning means I don't even think about what I want or what I need. I'm just going along with someone else's wants or needs as I hear them or experience and interpret them. And that's a great indicator that perhaps you're not emotionally available with yourself and therefore it will be difficult to be emotionally available with a partner because emotional availability is hard and it requires difficult vulnerable, and sometimes really frustrating conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And and even looking on the opposite end of that spectrum, and I, I completely agree with that. When we are just operating out of how do we gain acceptance, we are gain the acceptance of others, we're often doing that at, at the cost of our own acceptance. And then we swing that to the other end of the spectrum where we have these really unrealistic expectations. And that also helps to keep us safe. And so often when, when I'm working with my clients on this, on dating, we talk about the five needs, the five wants and the five boundaries so that we're really bringing this into something and being specific with each of those. Cause it's so easy to be like, I want a good person. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, let's break that down a little. But when we have that clear, tangible visualization, it can help us to see, okay, maybe this person doesn't check every single box, but maybe they don't need to. And so I do think, you know, just following up on your point of swinging just to the other end of the spectrum of it, sometimes we are too quick to to settle and to just accept whatever will take us. And then on the other end of that, sometimes we have such a list that of course no one's going to be able to meet it. So we get to say, <laughs> stay safe, right? That's yes. the whole objective. So beautifully said. Well, you, you have a book coming out um, in May. Is it this year? Let's hope so. (laughs) Okay, soon. Soon, yes. Um, I'm hoping towards the end of May. Uh, I do, yes. Okay, great. And the name of it is Relatable? It's Relatable um, from Relational Trauma to Finding Your Truth. And, um, And so it is, I talk a lot about what we're talking about right now with 
the relational programming. That's really how we set the stage for it. So understanding um, really how I had a client ask me a few weeks ago, I don't mean to be rude, but does everything really come back to your childhood? And I'm like, for the topic we are talking about right now, yes. And so I know that is such like, there's so much pushback on that. Like, it's not just all about your childhood, but keep in mind that it frames the good and the bad and the indifferent. It is how we are, how we are programmed. It's what we know. We are products of our environment. And so it really walks through how to uncover some of that, to gain awareness around these beliefs that you're operating out of, and then what to do with them, and then how to move forward, not so that you can find the perfect relationship, so you can find the good enough relationship, so you can find connection, um, if that's what you're desiring. And if it's not, that that's a big part of what I talk about as well, that the finding your truth is whatever your truth is. And that might be single, that might be a relationship, that might be a relationship with multiple people. Your truth is what is right for you. Love that. I can't wait to read it. Oh, well, Liz, thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about this with me. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about how to work with you or consume some of your content? Yes, thank you. And I appreciate you for asking me, Kate. I This is such an honor to be here with you. Um, my website is drelizabethbedrick.com. And then I'm on Instagram. I'm on other socials as well, but you're not going to find a whole lot there. But um, on Instagram at Dr. Elizabeth Bedrick. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Modern Intimacy Podcast. On Instagram, follow me at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and at The Modern Intimacy. On TikTok, check me out at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and on Twitter at Kate Balistrieri. Everyone has questions about mental health, sex, and relationships. Send yours to me via DM on Instagram or email them to questions at modernintimacy.com and I'll answer some at the end of each episode. Visit the website modernintimacy.com to schedule a consultation with a member of our team or to sign up for our newsletter. Let's meet back here next week. New episodes air every Tuesday. Reminder, this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for mental health services. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.